Hey, everybody. Grant here with To Russia With Love. I'm here with Dave, and we are starting off season two. We had a great uh, first season. We've loved the interactions uh, that you've given us um, from listening, writing reviews, interacting with us on social media. We've got some really fun stuff cooked up for season two. So, um, yeah, we're glad that you're with us. That's right. Uh, Today, we've got a a fun, lighthearted little topic for you, and that is the skinheads who wanted to beat our asses in Russia. Let's get into it. In 2003, we moved to Russia together, and it changed us in a permanent way. We learned to survive the snow, to drink vodka, and to beat ourselves in the bathhouse. We discovered a land of poets and philosophers of ancient mysteries and modern transformations. It was an entirely different world. Ever since we left, we've wanted to share this great country with others. Consider this podcast our love letter to Russia. I'm David. And I'm Grant. Welcome to Season 2 of To Russia With Love. All right, Dave. We've been in Russia for six months at this point. Remind us what we're up against in facing these skinheads who are out looking for us. Yeah, so uh, we talked about this in the last episode of season one, uh, but the first warning sign came in the summer. That was when we went off with the Baptist to summer camp, and we came back from camp and we found graffiti on the wall of the Baptist church in Angles, Russia. And so the skinheads, they had spray-painted Bjezhidov, and uh, that means beat the Jews. Yeah, with using a racial slur in Russia, which doesn't make sense because we're we're Christians. We, yeah, I mean, uh, nobody not even, was not even with any church. Jewish heritage. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it was just uh, you know they're not smart people. <laughs> so we saw that Bejidov uh, graffito on the church door, and I I think they spray painted the word "hui" after that, which is a a very rude word. It's my 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 favorite my favorite <laughs> bad word. You you love that word. <laughs> yeah. So. So we were just confused, but we thought we thought nothing of it. And then a little while later, closer to Halloween, is when we got that knocking on our windows at night. And again, our apartment is on the third floor, and, and somebody knocks on the front window and on the back window of the apartment. Super weird. We couldn't figure it out. It was either ghosts or the skinheads. That's, that's the only explanations we had. Yeah, equally scary options, both of them. Yeah. And uh, so then in October, we go to Germany to renew our Russian visas, and when we get back, I've got a text from Oksana from one of our youth leaders. Uh, we had our youth group every Tuesday. And so Oksana says, hey, while you guys were gone, uh, we had our, our meeting at the church on Tuesday and 20 skinheads came looking for you. So be careful. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, nice, l- nice, lighthearted. Welcome back to the country. Oh, yeah, there's 20 skinheads <laughs> looking for you guys. And so uh-huh. then we're looking over our shoulders. We're terrified. And uh, then on Halloween Day, uh, that rock club that we would work with, Club Jam, they had a concert for Halloween. So then, of course, we go to the concert. We see a guy in a scary monster mask, mad-dogging us, eyeballing us, and, and somebody tells us, oh, he's one of the, like, the senior skinheads in Angles. He's one of the main guys. Yeah. And uh, and then the head of the the rock club, Truba, he outs us as foreigners, so we had to sneak home through the graveyard. <laughs> so we're just... Yeah. So we're we're terrified by now. We know the skinheads are looking for us. We're we're looking over our shoulders every time we go out of the house, and we know we've got to deal with this. So, so the following Tuesday, we set up a meeting with our our youth leadership team, the people from the church that ran the youth group with us, and we decided to meet up in uh, in the church kitchen uh, on the yeah. ground floor, and we were just going to talk about what are we going to do about this skinhead problem. You, you mentioned the church kitchen. That was one of my, my favorite spots. Uh, th- th- we would always sit in there and have our meetings with our, our leadership group, with the, the youth who were part of the leaders. They would make some tea and we'd have some cookies and we'd just kind of sit around the table and we'd plan out what we were doing. But this time was a lot more serious than usual. And uh, and we we just kind of barely got started talking and uh, and figuring out like, okay, what's what's the plan? How are we going to deal with this? They obviously know that we're a part of this church that we're doing things here. What can we do to be safe? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and none of us had really great ideas of what, what to do about 20 skinheads looking for us. And so, yeah. so we're, we're just barely getting together. We just barely put the tea kettle on. 
uh, the, the teas on the stove. Uh, as I recall, you had your, your book of Russian curse words you were reading. And oh, yeah, so, I, was pro- I, was probably, I was probably reading about hui. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were studying up on the hui. <laughs> so we're sitting there in the kitchen talking. We had about uh, six, eight of us total. And, and, uh, and we're talking about what do we do about the skinheads. And then this knock comes at the door. The church had this this big iron door too, so it made it extra scary. It would just yeah. reverberate, and we hear this knock, and we're hearing this voice outside saying, "Open up! We know you got you got foreigners in there," and we're just all staring at each other in silence. Oh man, our blood chilled. Yeah, the tea kettle is whistling. It's just like in the movies. The tea kettle's whistling. Nobody's taking it off of the stove. It's just silence, and the tea kettle's going off, and and there's you with your book, and the title of the book says, Dear more. It says, Shit! And we're, <laughs> we're just like, the book just said it for all of us. So we, uh, we go, yeah, we go peek out of the, the peephole. There's a peephole in, the, in this big iron door, and we look out, and it's like this sea of bald heads. Um, that's like all we can see, and there's at least 20 skinheads out there just staring down the door waiting for us to open up yeah i thought of a i thought of a line from indiana jones when i saw that i just looked out and i was like nazis i hate these guys <laughs> yeah i think you may have even said that like under your breath <laughs> I might have. even in our even in our fear at least you you had a little bit of humor you got to make jokes. I mean, even if you're about to get your ass kicked, you you got to see the humor. We we see them out there and we know like they know that we're in there. We're they know we're inside. Yeah, like the there's nothing are on. we could do. We could we could pretend, you know, we could just be quiet and try to wait it out. But these dudes have been looking for us. They this is obviously not the first time they've come around the church. They've been looking for us. We we e- either need to run and keep running and always run, or we've got to deal with this head on. Yeah. And um, I, in that moment, we we made a decision. We said we've got to open the door. Yeah, we've got to deal with this. And so Marina, she uh, she was this very tall girl, uh, part of our leadership team. She calls through the door. She says, "Okay, we're going to open the door. You've got to stand back. So move away from the door." We don't want them to rush us. We don't want them to come pouring into the church. Yeah, I just expected them to just just once the door was open, be like, you know, all bets are off. Like we're, we're yeah. brawling right now. Yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen. I was terrified. And I, and when I tell this story to people, I, I have it with me opening the door, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. I'm pretty, <laughs> no, because I was no, terrified. It was, it was all Marina. Marina is the hero of the day. The, yeah. This, this young woman like stepped up and she, I don't know if she knew what she was doing or she was just going by the seat of her pants, but she dealt with this situation. So yeah, she says, get back from the door. I'm going to open it up. And so she opens up the door. And I'm looking straight out. And as soon as the door opens, like, I don't see anybody. And I'm confused. I'm like, what? Did these guys just disappear? This is a magic trick. And then I look down and there they are. And it turns out these 20 skinheads, they are all like 12 years old. (laughs) <laughs> they're, yeah they're like they're knee the mini, high the mini skinnies the mini skinnies <laughs> yeah we have to look down and they're like all the bald heads they're way down here it's like these little and i'm like dude these are the guys we were so scared of this whole time yeah <laughs> yeah that, that was that was that was hilarious i mean we didn't laugh at the moment because it was still a tense moment but we definitely breathed sighs of relief at that time and then marina and then marina starts kicking into them yeah, she starts making fun of him. She was she was really <laughs> clever because um, you know you still have to be careful because twenty skinheads is still twenty skinheads and and you know that these guys probably hang out with the big skinheads like that big scary yeah. guy that we saw at at Club Jam, and so yeah. we can't we can't just discount them either. And so, but she just like rips into their egos and starts making fun of them. And she says <laughs> says what do you guys do everything together do you shower together do you sleep together <laughs> do you shave your heads together yeah you get together and have little head shaving parties and <laughs> so just you know these guys are trying to be scary so she's telling them listen you're not scary you're just a bunch of confused little kids yeah and just ripping into them so eventually eventually she says okay here's the deal 
uh, why don't you guys send in your leader and and let's have a let's have a serious talk about this, okay? And so um, so their leader steps forward, Kirill, right? Yeah, yeah, Kirill. He was he was a little older. He was like sixteen, seventeen. Mm-hmm. You know, a little t- little taller, a little older. And so I guess he uh, he's the general of the mini skinnies in in angles. <laughs> she says, "Hey, if you can behave yourself, send in your leader, one guy, and we're gonna talk in the kitchen." Yeah. So Kirill comes in, and uh, you remember how he transformed once he was once he didn't have his little buddies with him. Oh man, he uh, he was like you said, he was about sixteen, so he wasn't like super tiny. But once he came in, he he became a little kid. It yeah. was. It, it was such a transformation. He started shaking. Um, he his eyes were just darting everywhere. It was like he expected to get mugged or someone was gonna jump out from behind the door and hit him with a lead pipe or something. He was scared. He was more scared than we were. Right. We took him into the kitchen and we gave him a cup of tea and and he was looking at us like like these Baptists are gonna kick my ass. I know it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, that definitely changed everything you know first we see oh hey it's a bunch of kids and then we see just how scared they are with their leader yeah but marina i gotta hand it to her she she knew what she was doing she she gave him tea she gave him some cookies and said all right let's talk what's what's your problem why you know why don't you like these american guys what's your problem with foreigners and he kind of just blurted out well they're not russian so they don't belong here he said the phrase Russia для русских, like Russia for the Russians. And he said these we don't want any foreigners here. Um, I mean you could tell he's just he's repeating these lines that he's learned from someone. Yeah. You know, no real concept of why he believes this stuff. It's just uh he just does. Um and yeah. they asked him what his problem with the Baptist church was, and he said, Oh, we don't like Christianity either because it's a Jew religion, because Jesus was a Jew. We think Russia <laughs> should be pagan. And I, th- I think I said something because I'd studied a bit of, of Russian ancient paganism. Yeah. And I said, dude, you know, even Russian paganism had foreign elements in it. It had beliefs from Asia and, and uh, the tree of life comes from Siberia and Asia. And that just blew his mind. He'd, <laughs> he had no idea what to say to that. Like, what? <laughs> well, it was, it was such a great situation. And eventually we decided instead of fighting these guys, instead of you know, totally pushing them away. Like, let's invite them to come to our club. You know, we meet every Tuesday night. Uh, it's a youth club. All these kids, you know, fit into that. Like, why don't you guys come and we'll do a, a week and we'll talk about patriotism. We'll we'll have a discussion, you know, with a large group of people. And let's, let's see if there's anything that we agree on. And let's talk about those differences that we have in, in our beliefs. Yeah, because that was a word that he kept on using when he was talking to us. He said, "Oh, the, we're just uh, we're we're patriots of our country." Yeah. So we said at our youth group every week, you know, we do games and we have music time, but we always have a discussion. We talk about some kind yeah. of philosophical topic, and it's just an open discussion. So you know what, we're going to do one just for you guys. Yeah. Next week, you bring your little buddies back. If you can behave yourselves, and this is Marina saying it because she was. A hard ass. <laughs> yeah. She's saying if you can if you can behave yourselves in a civilized way, you can come back next week and we will do a talk just for you. We'll we'll talk about yeah. patriotism, what does it mean to love your country? We'll talk about it with you guys. Yeah. So they did. They came back. I you know, when after Kirill left, I didn't think we would ever see him again. He he was so scared when we were talking in that kitchen. But the next week he came back with maybe fifteen of, of his little friends. Not all of them came. I think some of them were were scared that it was a trap and they were going to yeah. get beat up. But they came and uh, and and we had a talk with them. We had all of our kids from the church and from the community that we had met. So you know there was probably you know thirty five or forty people there, um, including the skinheads. So they were definitely outnumbered. But they they behaved themselves and and we had a talk about patriotism, what it meant to be a patriot in Russia, and not only that, but from our perspective. What did it mean to be a patriot as Americans as well? Yeah, we. I remember uh, organizing that talk. I was at a conference with one of the past, pastors we worked with. And uh, during a really boring part of the conference, I planned out the talk. And I kind of had some guidelines of where I wanted to take it. And so we. I was really frank about our, cell, our uh, position as foreigners. And we talked about what does it mean to say that you love your country, you love your homeland. And yeah. I, think, I think what really helped was that I was... I said, yeah, I, I love the place that I grew up. I love my land, but I don't love what the government does. Yeah. 
and it helped that we were we were critical about things like the the U.S. had just invaded Iraq at the time. This is two thousand and three, and we yeah. were critical of that. We said we don't we don't agree with that. We don't like invading a country unprovoked. That's not okay. And so yeah, we love our homeland, but we also we don't love what our government does. And we think if you really are a patriot, you should be able to be critical of what your government does. Yeah. When we when we said that, they said, well, well, yeah, of course, yeah, we we agree with that too. Yeah. And so we, I had it set up as a series of, of points that we developed. And at each one, I, I asked them, what do you guys think about that? And at each one, they said, well, yeah, sure. We, yeah, we agree with that too. And eventually yeah. it gets to the point of saying, saying, hey, if, is patriotism, is nationalism the highest principle in ethics? Or are there other principles that are higher than serving your country and loving your country? And they said, well, yeah, it's not, it's not the highest principle. Of course, there are other ethical principles that are more important. Yeah. Skinheads agreed that being a nationalist <laughs> is not the most important thing. That's, that's a big deal. That was a big deal. And, and like you said before, you know, these kids were just parroting some of the stuff that they had heard maybe from some of the older skinheads or, or whatever. So they, they didn't really have a, a solid ideology, but uh, this was an opportunity for them to hear some different opinions and thoughts on it and to critically think about what it was that they believed themselves. Another big deal was the fact that our youth group was crazy diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was insanely and insanely diverse group of young people. I mean, we had everything. We had people from the Caucasus. We had uh -huh. uh, Jewish people. We had some Georgian Muslims. people. Yeah, some Muslims. There's a Hare Remember Krishna Remember that Hare, Hare Krishna guy? Yeah. Yeah, the rocker with the long hair. Yeah, that was, that was funny. We had kids who were affluent, um, who had money, who went to private schools. But we also had kids who were almost like living on the streets. Yeah. And it wasn't just Baptists. Of course, we met in the Baptist church and, and, and our leadership was with the Baptists there in the church. But we didn't care. You know, if anybody wanted to come and join our group, they were allowed. And so these skinheads come and it's they're with this diverse group of kids and we start playing games and doing things together. And they just realize, I think, like, hey, these are kids just like us. Yeah, and they joined in. They would do the game. We'd do these silly games of like passing an orange with your chin to each other. And, and they just, all these little skinheads with their little tiny bomber jackets, <laughs> they just joined in and they're playing the games with everybody else. Yeah. And at the end of that, we, they even agreed at the end that, hey, if you're, if you are a real patriot, if you really love your homeland, you should also respect every other person's right to love who they are, love their own identity. And they, they agreed. They said, well, yeah, sure. Okay. And then they just kept yeah. coming back. Yeah. They became a part of our youth group. All of a sudden we had this group of skinheads who would come and be a part and join in on other conversations and play the games and hang out with these other kids that weren't exactly like them. Yeah. It was that was that blew my mind. That was one of the biggest parts of impacts that I feel like we ever had. And it was all kind of on accident and it was all kind of it just kind of came into our lap and just happened. And yeah. thanks to Marina, you know, we didn't have to fight and we were able to work these kids into hopefully a healthier relationship with others. Yeah, it was very cool. Now, if we, I think things might have been different and they could have gone a lot worse for us if we hadn't been white and from the U.S. I think it would have been a lot harder yeah, for us. Yeah. If we had been from, from Africa, for instance, I, I really don't think Gideon would have been so cool with us, even after we talked with him. Yeah, I don't think they would have even listened to us. There, there would have been no discussion. It would have just been, let's fight. Yeah. Let's beat these, beat these foreigners up. There's something to be said for, I mean, recognizing, yeah, there's, there's some privilege in there too, that, uh, that we had that, that thing yeah. and, and people who were not like us in Russia, uh, there were a lot of other people who had a much worse time with the skinheads and no matter, no yeah. amount of talking could have saved them from that. I, uh, I remember, uh, one of my experiences where I felt like a foreigner. Most of the time I didn't, most of the time, if I kept my mouth shut, I could kind of blend in, but there was one night where, um, after our club night, you went out to celebrate someone's birthday and I wasn't feeling good. So I wanted to go home. But by the time I got halfway home, I realized I didn't have my key and you had a key. So I went to go find you at that nightclub. You remember, you remember yeah. that night? Yeah. Yeah. We were dancing in the nightclub with this person. Yeah. I knew where you guys were and, but I, I went to go try to find you, but I, uh, I had like holes in my jeans. And so I came in and these two bouncers stopped me 
And uh, I, I asked if I could pay to go in, and they said, no, we're not going to let you go in there. So I tried to tell them, hey, my friend is in there. And I'm using broken Russian at this point. Like, I didn't yeah. speak very well. I knew a little bit. I knew enough to say, like, my friend is in there. I don't have a key. But they start laughing at me, and, and they heard me trying to speak Russian, so they knew I was a foreigner. And th- I think they immediately assumed that I was – uh, from the Caucasus, maybe from Georgia or whatever. Yeah. And the reason why I think that is because they called me, they, they used a, a racial derogatory term <laughs> and uh, basically the, the Russian version of the N-word. Yeah. Then they realized, okay, no, he's not from there. Well, where are you from? And I said, I'm, I'm American. And they, and then they started making fun of me for being American. They, <laughs> they, uh, they said, oh, America, 9-11, Twin Towers. <laughs> Yeah, this is at that, borderline at inappropriate, that, guys. It, the whole thing was inappropriate. <laughs> and I was like, all right, screw you guys. I'm out of here. So so I left and but that was that was one of the moments where I realized, hey, you know, it's it's not easy being a foreigner in a foreign country. Most of the time I was able to get by because I had friends and and I was American, but at that time I, I wasn't able to. Over the time that we spent in Russia, we got to know a lot of foreigners. And uh, and people who did not look Russian had a really hard time, uh, especially with, I mean, obviously the skinheads, they, they don't represent the country. They're not everyone, but there were enough of them to make life really suck. Yeah. In Saratov, I had, I had friends from Latin America, Colombians, people from other countries. And, uh, and the Colombians, every year, they, they studied medicine. They lived in the dorm for, that was for foreigners. And, uh, and every year on Hitler's birthday... They stayed inside. They wouldn't even go out. Oh man, because yeah. they and of course, I mean, most most Russians are cool, but there's just there's enough assholes. There were enough skinheads out there who celebrated Hitler's birthday by looking for yeah. foreigners to beat up, and they would just look at yeah. what you look like. That's horrible. Oh, disgusting. And so these guys were. They just had to stay inside. I uh, I've had other experiences as an immigrant in Sweden. I lived there for three years recently. Right. And um, most of my experiences were really good. I, you know, had didn't have very many issues. And a part of that, I think I can chalk up to being American. I still yeah. had a privilege, you know, coming from where I came from, from being white, from having European features and an American passport. Being able to speak English was such a big deal over there that I didn't experience uh, much prejudice or issues. But I had friends who did. I was a part of a church that had people from over 50 different countries. And um, some of my friends were from the continent of Africa. And it was incredibly hard to get a visa to come. Uh, One of my buddies got married while he was there. And he had been dating this Swedish girl for years. They had known each other for years. And then he had to leave the country for almost a year in that first year of marriage so he could go get a residence and a, no a visa, a residence visa. Even even after getting married? Even after getting married and after being there and being a part of things, you know, for a long time. I had another experience where there was a, a man who immigrated from Syria maybe 30 years ago. And uh, this was during this was during the, uh, the recent Syrian immigration crisis, the refugee crisis. Yeah. And he was talking about how tough it was being an immigrant. And I was kind of new there. Uh, and, and I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm an immigrant too. I can relate with him. And so I said that, but he looked at me and he said, no, you're not an immigrant. (laughs) And, uh, we were having, we were having lunch together with a a guy from Nigeria who had lived there for a long time. And, uh, he said, well, maybe Ike, maybe this guy from Nigeria, maybe he's an immigrant, but you're not an immigrant. (laughs) It really opened my eyes. Uh, uh, being an immigrant is hard and, um, being an American immigrant is is a much more easy than most other places in the world. And he makes a great point that, that the experience is very different from being a, a voluntary immigrant, going there to work with churches like you did in Sweden, like we did in Russia. Yeah. That's an entirely different thing than being a refugee, than having to yeah. leave your homeland by force, not being yeah. able to go back, having to start from scratch, scrape together a living uh, totally different experiences. Well, he he had he had college education. He was an engineer in Syria, but the only job he was able to get 
and the job that he had there was as a janitor in our church. <laughs> wow. Where I come in as this kid and I've got, you know, this job right away waiting for me, basically, there's such a discrepancy and such a, a difference uh, when it comes to race or where it comes to where in the world you originate from. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, listeners in the States, in Canada, other countries uh, have heard similar stories. People who were who were doctors in their home country, who were engineers, and move somewhere else and have to start from the bottom up and and work, you know, as a bagger in a supermarket. Yeah, on the on the converse side, being in Sweden, some of my immigrant friends some were from Russian speaking countries. I had friends oh, from yeah. Russia, friends from Ukraine, Belarus. They were oftentimes treated like second class citizens, and it wasn't really a spoken thing. Oh. You know, Sweden, Sweden is very progressive. People, a lot of people would say, oh, Swedes are not racist. But when it comes down to it, you know, the people who are doing the hard labor, who are doing the construction, who are doing the janitor jobs, you know, working in the back of a kitchen, many of them are immigrants. Right. And a lot of them came from Russian-speaking countries. So it was interesting to kind of see that from the other side. One, being an immigrant to Russia and experiencing that, but then seeing Russian immigrants come to another country. Right. It was, it was really different. But, uh, but Dave, tell me a little bit about the history of Russia and race. Um, you know, thinking back, you know, through history classes, I remember seeing Soviet propaganda posters, you know, where there was people from all different races, different colors, different ethnicities portrayed on the poster. And, and I think the poster that I remember seeing said something like, strength and unity or all people are equal or something like that. What, uh, what do you know about that? Yeah, so during the Soviet times, uh, the Soviet Union made a, made a big point out of the fact that it was a multi-ethnic uh, union, yeah, multi-ethnic country. And, uh, and it was, I mean, Russia has always been extremely diverse. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Well, it spans Russia, even it spans Europe and Asia. You know, it, it doesn't even fit on one continent. Right. Yeah, and there are, only in, in the city of Saratov alone, uh, the city across the river from where we lived during those first months, Saratov has a reputation for having some of the most beautiful people in Russia. And the reason for that is the ethnic mixing. Huh. Uh, officially, people would say Saratov had 111 ethnicities. Wow. And I don't know if, I don't know if that's an accurate count or the number just sounds cool, because 111... <laughs> <laughs> But the the point is there were a lot of ethnicities there. Yeah. Saratov's the beginning of southern Russia, so you had a lot of people coming up from the Caucasus, from the south, from the the stands, you know, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan and uh, and and they all mixed and made really beautiful babies in Russia in, in Saratov. Yeah. And so in the Soviet times, the Soviet government made a made a point to emphasize that diversity. There like you said in the metro, uh, there were these old murals and posters and uh, you know images of of the diversity of the country. If you look at the at the old money from the Soviet times, uh, they back in the days they had they had bills for one ruble, and on that bill there are like twenty languages on it. Yeah, different scripts, different alphabets, and they you know really made a point to in include everybody and say, hey, we're all equal. You know, the dark side of that is even with. Uh, a bad guy like like Stalin. Some of the you know Stalin was not a cool dude. Yeah, so he was a he was an ethnic minority as well, right? He was Georgian. He was from Georgia, from the south. Yeah, and and obviously he wrote, rose the ranks and he managed to become the uh, the top guy in the Soviet Union. Yeah, and uh, Stalin for here's the thing for every for all the horrible stuff Stalin did, he wasn't racist. Like he just killed everybody. <laughs> he killed, <laughs> he was an equal opportunity oppressor. He would <laughs> yeah. oppress everybody equally. Oh man, yeah. There, I guess I guess that's a silver lining, right? Interestingly enough, uh, one of the groups that he did target was my people, the Volga Germans. Oh, uh, you know, my my ancestors were this ethnic minority of people with German last names who settled on the Volga River in the 1700s. Yeah, and uh, so we had been there for a long time, um, but when Stalin comes to power, World War II breaks out. And Stalin, he was super paranoid of everyone, and uh, he was afraid that the Volga Germans would turn coat. He thought we were going to spy sense. on the Soviet Union for Germany. And so he, uh, I mean, it's similar to what the U.S. did with people of Japanese descent. 
there are, yeah. uh, you know, Sansei, Nisei, people who've been here for generations. And uh, when World War II happens, uh, the U.S. just locked everybody up. They said, yeah. they said, we are afraid you might spy on us for Japan, so we're just going to lock everyone up. Yeah. And that's what Stalin did with us. He deported most of us to other parts of the Soviet Union, to Siberia, Kazakhstan. and uh, But that's one of the few instances of him targeting an ethnicity. Uh, otherwise, Soviet times, uh, yeah, it was uh, there was a lot of talk of, of equality. Yeah. We're all in this together. But then the wall comes down and the Soviet Union falls apart. Yeah. And when that happens, uh, during the, the 1990s, all of a sudden... There's a rise in extremism of all types. And so these, these racist groups, uh, like the skinheads, appear um, in the chaos, in this maelstrom of chaos following the dissolution of the Union. Uh, the country falls apart. Uh, there's a whole generation of young people. They, they have no idea what their country is, what the future is. And uh, so in that vacuum of identity, of authority, of structure, uh, these extremist groups appear. And so all of a sudden, by the time we go there in 2003, you had uh, these groups of skinheads that had appeared. Yeah, so when we were there, we were, uh, it, it wasn't the most chaotic years after Perestroika. Those were in the 90s. Uh, and in the yeah. 90s, you just had, well, I heard stories from friends about the 90s when, like, entire apartment blocks would go into the street and brawl with each other. People people called the, ni- people called the 90s the Wild West in Russia. It was yeah. like a lawless, just kind of a chaos time, right? Yeah, and and we will be talking about that uh, in later episodes too. We'll we'll get into that. Yeah, it was a wild time, and so in that vacuum of structure and uh, authority, these these extremist groups pop up. So you have these mm. uh, neo Nazis and skinhead groups uh, popping up all over Russia, and you'd see. You remember the the graffiti that we would see when we lived in Angles and in Saratov, the the neo Nazi graffiti. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there there would be swastikas around and. We were like, what? What's going on here? Swastikas, are you guys serious? Like, the Nazis hated you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, you know, they they combine Russian nationalistic slogans with swastikas and Hitler. And it's like, dude, Hitler wanted to kill all of you. He wanted to turn Moscow into a lake. <laughs> like, are you, do you not know your history? Yeah. But, I mean, skinheads, uh, you know, neo-Nazis, they're not typically very bright people. And so these, uh, there were a few very notable hate crimes and a lot of other hate crimes that, that went unreported. Uh, and we, you know, we heard about a lot of that from our friends and read about it in the news. Uh, the, a few famous ones in 2004, which is actually when uh, I was still living there. Yeah. Um, in St. Petersburg in February, a group of neo-Nazi skinheads, they stabbed a nine-year-old girl because she was touching. Oh, because man. she was, yeah, ethnic minority. And they stabbed her to death. That's horrible. And the the scary, the the really disgusting thing about these guys, like hate groups anywhere in the world, they're really cowards at heart. Yeah. So they're these guys are never going to go one to one. They're never going to fight somebody their own size one on one. They always gang up on someone. It's always tons of them, and they find uh, an immigrant traveling alone, and they gang up on them. And here, a nine year old girl, just despicable disgusting uh, that, that's horrible were there were there some other notable instances of of uh extremist racism uh yeah so one of the the really famous cases was in 2007 after we left this was a video that was filmed by neo-nazis posted online and uh the video was called uh, uh like the execution of a tajik and a dagestani and it huh. is an it's an actual video of neo Nazis beheading a person, beheading oh. somebody of Dagestani origin. They're from uh, the Dagestan Republic in the south, um, and shooting an immigrant uh, Tajik immigrant. This is like some terrorist shit. Yeah, it's it's literally terrorism. Oh. 
you know, the, another case was 2006. Uh, there was a market in Moscow that was bombed by neo-Nazis because a lot of immigrants worked there. You know, as anywhere that experiences this kind of extremism, for every case that gets reported, there are like dozens of others that don't even get reported. Yeah. Just random, random attacks of hate on the streets. So really, really disturbing stuff, really scary stuff. However, uh, let's put it into perspective a little bit. First off, I I don't want it to sound like we're just saying all this stuff is in Russia. And like we're pointing the finger at as if Russia were the worst country on earth. I mean, especially in a country like the United States, there are no fingers to be pointed when it comes to anti-immigrant sentiment and extremism uh, and racist terrorist groups. Because we've got plenty of those in the States, too. Yeah, I think everybody would agree that the last few years have been tense when it comes to uh, some of those things. Um, yes. You know, whether whether people are feeling emboldened or that there's just a a rise of violence or a rise of media coverage of these types of things. We've been experiencing that here in the States as well. Yeah, there are. And the FBI keeps track of of hate crimes. Uh, the Department of Justice, they, they keep track of statistics. And uh, the late the latest studies that I've found pretty consistently, it averages around 250,000 hate crimes in the U.S. each year. Yeah. And keep in mind, these are the the verified hate crimes. So this is this is not just some guy telling the police, oh, my neighbor robbed me because he hates me. Yeah. Like these are these are actual verified attacks by racist groups, attacks uh, in which the the law enforcement, uh, the authorities have have verified that that racial hatred or anti LGBT hatred was was a factor. So two hundred fifty thousand a year on average. Wow. And uh, and there's plenty of of. Hate groups, obviously, in the U.S., skinheads, neo-Nazis, etc. Tons of these groups that I I think the word terrorism is very merited. It it fits the textbook definition of of terrorism. Uh, These are groups that use violence to push their own agenda, that attack civilians. um, And it's it's scary stuff. I have uh, an aunt and uncle. Uh, The uncle's white, my aunt is black. And they they've gone on vacation, you know, through the southeast, uh, all across the U.S. And when they go on vacation, they have to be mindful of this because they realize there are certain places, certain parts of the U.S. where it is not safe for an interracial couple to just travel through at night, go through certain towns. Uh, Not all of the U.S. is safe for everybody. Yeah. That reminds me of a piece that you wrote for a social action blog about um, a travel alert. You know how like the United States puts out travel alerts for people who are visiting different parts of the world saying, you know, don't go in these areas or uh, we don't recommend uh, traveling to this part of the world because of violence there, because of war, because of whatever it was. And you, you wrote an example like as if the United States would write something for the United States. What would you read that for us? This was for Evangelical Social Action blog. Um, so this is, I'm imagining what would a travel alert look like for somebody traveling to the U.S. And for all I know, some other country out there may have already written up something like this. Yeah. But I imagine it like this. Tourists of a darker complexion are strongly cautioned against visiting the United States. Hate crimes against people who do not have white or European features are common across the U.S.A., According to the country's own Department of Justice statistics, more than 250,000 hate crimes take place each year. Non-white visitors are encouraged to stick to major urban centers and areas with a heavy presence of tourists. Large sections of the southeast, including the states of Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, and others, are lawless, ungovernable, and to be considered off-limits for non-white visitors. So, of course, you know, I'm taking the same tone that the U.S. travel alerts take, sort of exaggerating it. Um, yeah, that's the way you'll hear them talk about a country like Haiti or Mexico. Uh, but I mean, there's something to be said there. There are certain parts of the U S where these domestic terrorists are active and it is not safe for everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't want that to come across as, you know, just a broad generalization. There are bad people in every areas doing bad things. 
you know, whether that's in Russia, whether that's in the United States. But then on on the flip side, there's good people doing good things as well. Yeah, it's we we don't want to end on a negative note about Russia or the U.S. or any other country because we have to give credit where credit is due also. And as far as Russia and uh, extremist racist groups in Russia, there is a lot of good news for us to report. Yeah. Um, first off, racist attacks, skinhead groups, uh, membership, they've all, according to a lot of reliable studies, uh, they have all been on the decline since the time when we lived there. Oh. Uh, the last time I visited Russia was in 2008. Um, when I was there, I, I, whenever I'm there, I read the papers every day. I picked up a paper one day and it had a survey about of Russian citizens about their opinions of foreigners, of migrant workers. And uh, it was a survey over the five previous years. So this is 2008, covering the five years leading up to that. And uh, public opinion had been on the rise of positive opinions about mm. immigration, about migrant workers, extremely racist attitudes had been on the decline. And as you know, anywhere, when when there's more hate in society, when there's more racism in society, uh, you know, most people in society will never take action on that. But the groups that do, these extremist groups, they get emboldened and mm. it's more likely for them to hurt people. And so this is yeah. this is a very good sign. And there's a whole article in the Washington Post. Uh, the article is titled Russians, Russians Are Actually Getting Less Xenophobic. And this article is really worth reading the whole thing. Fascinating stuff. Uh, cites lots of hard science and research. Uh, really worth a read. But uh, a couple main points from that. Well, one, they asked, these, these cover their longitudinal studies. They uh, surveyed citizens in Russia at different points in history. And back during the, the rise of extremism, which I would say be, that's between the 90s up to around 2008. Yeah. Like that's the, the heyday of these skinheads and extremist groups. Uh, and they've, they've all been on the decline since then. The major attacks in the news, uh, most of that news comes from before 2010. Yeah. One of the surveys, they asked people what they thought about Russia's government. And this is an interesting point. The more pro-Kremlin people were, the less racist they were, huh. the less extremist they were. And that lines up with neo-Nazi and uh, hate groups in the U.S. too. I mean, a lot of them overlap with all these anti-government conspiracy theories and the Illuminati and UFOs and Flat Earth. and yeah. So there's a real anti-establishment bent to them and same same goes for russia uh, you mentioned 2008 as kind of being the the peak of of some of this extremism and uh you sent you sent me an article and i was reading up on it and there's a group called sova an ngo in moscow that basically studies and and does research on racism and nationalism in russia and uh, according to them yeah 2008 was the was was one of the peaks um, in the article that you sent to me. Uh, there's a steady increase in racist attacks, either resulting in deaths or injuries, up until 2008. But then from then on, uh, it seems to get lower and lower and lower. Right. You know, they the, they they don't necessarily say why that's happening. I'd like to believe that people are changing, <laughs> that people yeah. are becoming more open to differences. Yeah, I think personally I think it's I think there are a few factors at play. Uh, one is increased stability, economic and social stability in Russia. Uh, mm. you know when in the years we lived there, 2003 and 4, the country was still reeling from the destruction of the Soviet Union. There's still a lot of, you know, insecurity about the future. And since then like, the economy has been steadily growing. There's been more just more opportunities, more stability. Uh, growing middle class. So anytime you have a country that is unstable with uh, you know, growing poverty and insecurity, that's going to give rise to extremist groups of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the stability. Uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Those kids that we met outside of the church door, you know, those kids were just kind of thrown into the mix and they found a place where they felt like they could connect with other kids. And it happened to be 
an in an exploitive situation where they were learning these racist tendencies and until somebody cared you know marina bringing them into the church and offering them tea and cookies until somebody cared that was the path that they were going down yeah. lindsay my wife uh was in school at the beginning of the 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 century here and she had told me that teachers were oftentimes not getting paid so you know the education system was in shambles kids would come to class and teachers would write something on the board and then walk out and basically the kids were left to teach themselves so when you have wow. that type of a situation yeah of course there's not stability um, when you've got unemployment when you've got issues between relationships between parents and kids you know kids are going to go find somebody that they think cares about them and that's right. how they get caught up in some of those situations right yeah that's i mean this is the exact same kind of uh, situations that lead kids to join gangs right it's, you know street gangs yeah. or whatever it's that that vacuum of um, stability of love of community acceptance people are going to look for that wherever they can find it Okay, so stability, that, that makes a lot of sense. But another thing that I'm wondering about is, what about the government? I mean, have they made any inroads to, to stop racism? I know we hear in the news here about how um, the current government is anti-LGBTQ, and, and you talked about hate crimes, and oftentimes yeah. hate crimes are defined by violence against either people of, of different race or different sexual orientation. So obviously that you know we see that in the news that they the Russian government isn't for the gay community but what are they doing and if anything about hate and racism Yeah so as far as uh gay rights LGBT community I think that would merit its its own episode that's a very complicated issue Yeah and as far as analyzing Russia's government I mean that would merit its own podcast <laughs> That it's an extremely complex issue um, and we've talked about how that's not really what we're about here at To Russia With Love. We're not really a political co podcast, and there are others that do go into politics. But there's something that we can say about how Russia's government has been handling racist extremism. Yeah. And they've actually taken significant measures to fight racist extremism. Some of the studies in that uh, Washington Post article, uh, there's one study that was over several years and that study went into, they surveyed people on uh, attitudes about racism, and then they asked what their attitudes toward the government were. And uh, something interesting is the more racist people were, the more anti-government they were in Russia. Huh. And that's, uh, I mean, that's something you see in the U.S. also. Like when you, you know, these neo-Nazis and racist extremist groups, I mean, they're they're not smart people to begin with. They're also really into uh, just extreme ideologies of all kinds. They're really anti-establishment, anti-government. Yeah. These are the kind of people that put tinfoil hats on and uh, think the Illuminati are stealing their thoughts and flat earthers. And they kind of, they overlap with a lot of that fringe stuff. Okay. And same same thing in Russia. So so the people in these skinhead groups, they they do not like Russia's government. And the feeling is mutual. Russia's government does not like them either. Hmm. The last time that I was there in 2008, I noticed a big government campaign to fight racist extremism. And there were big prominent posters on the street with slogans like say no to racism, say no to extremism, uh, denouncing skinheads, neo-Nazis, and, and rightly calling them exactly what they are, fascists. Yeah. You know, and saying these, these guys, these are the same assholes that we fought in the Great Patriotic War. We can't <laughs> let them take over our, our streets here. And yeah. I saw that, I remember seeing that from a lot of our friends. I mean, our friends were sensible people. They they were not fans of skinheads. Yeah, yeah. And uh, whenever we would see skinheads on the street or see racist uh, graffiti on a building, our friends would always say, Gitler kaput. 
<laughs> which is a phrase that hold over from World War II, a phrase that means Hitler is kaput, Hitler's broken, Hitler's no good. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember actually seeing some some uh, <laughs> graffiti saying that next to some of these fascist graffiti also. So there was kind of a, a backlash against it from the people as well. Exactly. Yeah, it was. you have this back and forth in, in graffiti between the fascists and anti-fascists. So one other uh, interesting thing is President Putin has made a, he's made a point in his speeches throughout his administration of emphasizing that Russia has always been a multi-ethnic nation. Mm. And he's he's called out the racists and skinheads and, and he's called out the people who say things like Russia de la Ruski, Russia for the Russians. Mm. He has condemned them uh, consistently in his speeches. And this goes all the way back to 2003. Uh, so Putin, every year he does this live chat with the nation right around December or the new year. And it I've watched it before. It lasts forever. It's like hours and hours. And people are calling in with questions and he's fielding them. And so one of the first ones he did was in 2003. And I think we might have even seen part of it live on TV when because it was when yeah, we were there. I, I, I remember that. I don't remember understanding all of it, but I remember seeing that because that was... That was right at the beginning, kind of when Putin was coming into into power in Russia. Right. right. So this quote uh, from 2003, December 18th, it's in Russian, but I'll give you the synthesis of it is basically he had a caller asking him uh, what his thoughts are about groups like skinheads and people, ethnocentric extremist groups that say Russia for the Russians. And basically he's saying it's idiotic, huh. saying Russia for the Russians is absurd and idiotic because Russia has always been a multi-ethnic nation. Yeah. Like at what point in history was it ever only one ethnicity living in that territory that we know as Russia today? Wow. And this has been consistent. Uh, Ten years later in 2013, uh, there's a speech by Putin and the English translation of that is actually on the Kremlin's website. And I'll give you a quote here from that speech because I think it's really good showing this overt condemnation of racist extremism. And it says, nationalists must remember that Russia was formed specifically as a multi-ethnic and multi-confessional country, multi-religious, from its very inception. Nationalists must remember that by calling into question our multi-ethnic character and exploiting the issue of Russian, Tatar, Caucasian, Siberian, or any other nationalism or separatism, that means that we are starting to destroy our genetic code. In effect, we will begin to destroy ourselves. Hmm. So, yeah, you can say whatever else, uh, you know, tons of opinions out there about Russia's government in general. And again, it's not our purpose here to analyze, uh, you know, or support or condemn the government. However, you know, we can say that the government has taken steps to combat racist extremism. And I think that has something to do with the decline in attacks and in skinhead groups in Russia. Uh, But what really gives me hope regardless of what the government is doing or not doing, is that people are standing up and taking charge and civil society, citizens in Russia and in the U.S. have organized a lot of efforts to fight racist extremism. Yeah. And that's kind of what we are about. You know, we care about the people. We care about the culture. We care about the society. And it seems, the data shows that it seems like people are stepping up. Yeah. So you mentioned the organization Sava. Um it's a, a think tank. It's an information analytical center. Uh, the, na- the name means owl in Russian. And uh, Sava is, they, they do research. They're sort of a watchdog organization. And they keep an eye on racism, xenophobia, extremism, religious discrimination of all kinds in Russia. And that's a, that's a totally non-governmental organization, totally separate from the government. Um, and there are many others like them that are out there that are trying to monitor these groups control them and really ensure diversity, ensure that that multi-ethnic nature of the Russian nation is respected and protected. That's great. And that there's a place for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. We know that there's there's, uh, organizations like that here in the States as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, One of the most significant organizations, uh, and that's been around the longest, is the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this group is based out of Alabama. It was born from the civil rights struggle in the 1960s. Uh, and still exist today. And uh, so they do a lot of the same work in the States that Sava does in Russia. 
they they monitor hate groups keep track of of the specifics the numbers the the discourse and the and the actual violent attacks that that take place and one really cool thing the southern poverty law center does ever since their inception in the 60s they realize something uh with hate groups the leaders never get their hands dirty the guys writing the rhetoric uh, writing these crazy pamphlets, uh, organizing everything. Those guys are never going to go attack an immigrant. They get their little foot soldiers to do that work. Mm. You remember this from uh, American History X. You can see that, and that's actually very accurate. That scene where they meet the the leader of the skinheads in his house, yeah, and the guy, he's, he's telling them, hey, I can't get my hands dirty. I can't touch this issue. Uh, you guys have got to go attack people. Yeah. And that's how, that's how they operate. So the Southern Poverty Law Center, they have uh, have a team of lawyers, and when there is uh, a violent attack, a uh, hate crime, they work to hold responsible the group and the leadership of the group that organized, coordinated, or inspired that attack. And so they, they connect it, they bring it back to the source, and they just sue the crap out of them. So they find these neo-Nazi and skinhead leaders, and they just make them go bankrupt. Uh-huh. And so they're using, you know, doing everything within the legal system, uh, but using it to to fight these domestic terrorists and and say this is not okay. We can't let this happen on our territory. It is. It's mm-hmm. truly. And of course, their lawyers, their their organization has received death threats all the time because they're going after some some really nasty, despicable people. Mm-hmm. And they're out there on the front lines. And Savaz doing that in Russia and. And that gives me hope to see people, regardless of whatever their government is doing or not doing or whoever's in charge, see people taking taking the reins and saying, we have to fight evil. We have to fight. And that's I don't throw around the word evil very much. But when it comes to attacking someone just because of where they're from, that's evil to actually gang up on somebody to violently attack them because of the color of their skin. It's it's just wickedness. Yeah. You know, speaking of fighting, we kind of got lucky. We never had to actually fight personally ourselves, but we had people looking out for us. I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but uh, you remember that whole group of punk rockers that we used to hang out with, oh, Sergey yeah. and and those guys. Yeah, uh, there was there was one night after we were doing some concerts when we had some friends from the states out. We were performing concerts. There was a night they came and and a bunch of them had black eyes and busted lips and all, all this types of stuff. And we're like, what happened to you guys? And um, they let us know, well, we were going to go to your concert, but um, we heard that the skinheads were going to jump you guys and try to steal all of your gear. So instead, we decided to fight them in the park. Do you remember Ooh, that? I, I had totally forgotten about that. So so there were people who were standing up to these thugs and, and in some ways, especially on our behalf, I think of them, I think of Marina, the way that she handled the mini skinnies and how she brought them in and really kind of helped reform them and, and convert them out of racism. Yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten about our, our guardian angels, punk rocker guardian angels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had people in our corner. We got, we got lucky. And, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I think it, it really taught me uh, some of those experiences taught me what it means to be an outsider and how hard it can be to fit into a society that you aren't originally from. Yeah, I think it I think it taught both of us a lot of empathy. Um, and I, I think that's the fact that we had to face down the skinheads there is a big part of why I feel so strongly about this this stuff. Yeah, because I've I've been on the other side of it, and obviously we were extremely privileged. We could we could really leave Russia anytime we wanted if things got bad enough. Yeah, um, the the way we looked, we could blend in on the streets, and other people are not so lucky. And I think it taught us a lot of empathy for people who face the threat of possible violence on a daily basis because of how they look or where they're from. And there's millions of people like that in dozens of different countries all over the world who that's their daily reality and there's no end in sight. Yeah. But it's up it's up to those like you said those guardian angels to help each other out and help each other up. Um we all got to look out for each other. That's right. We've all got to make the world a safer, kinder place. Well, this this was uh this was a pretty deep conversation, Dave. Yeah, this it's, was uh, not a not a lighthearted one for our episode. No. 
So, so there we go. The start of uh, season two, just so you all know, you know, in this season, we're, we're going to tackle some important topics. Um, this is one of them. This was one of the things that was, was very prominent in our lives out in Russia in 2003 and 2004. But, you know, there are some other topics that we want to get into that are deep, but don't worry. Uh, we've we've got our fun, silly stories that we love to tell as well. We've got plenty of those that we want to share with you all in this season. That's right. So stay tuned. Uh, check us out on social media. Please keep writing those comments. We've heard from a, a lot more people about season one. It's great to hear from you, Yeah. your input, suggestions, um, and write us reviews on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. And we really love interacting with you folks on, on social media. So please stay in touch with us, TRWL podcast uh you can find us at all, on all the major social media on instagram it's trwl underscore podcast so please check us out and interact with us be sure to hit subscribe for so you don't miss any episode this season and share it with a friend you know everybody's got friends out there who you know want to hear some funny stories some serious topics so share it thanks for joining us we will check you next time thanks for tuning in and remember Hitler kaput Get little kaput. <laughs> the Prada. For sure. This episode of To Russia with Love is sponsored by Prima Nostalgia Filterless Cigarettes, a fur hat, and the hydroelectric station of Dnetropetrovsk. Spasiba za vnimanie. Please, thank you.